This podcast was brought to you by Good Episode Productions. You like it. We have a Confucius quote on. Confucius, Confucius, how do you say that in English? Confucius. Confucius, okay. Interesting. Did you know that Confucianism is like the mirror of Taoism? Um, I, I just remember that you tweeted something about it. It was in my drafts. Um, oh, yeah. When you tweeted out your funny drafts. Yeah, that, yeah you tweeted out your draft. funny drafts and like five of them were funny. And then like one factual thing about Confucianism and Taoism. I know. It was a pretty, it was a pretty good overview of my tweets, I think. Yeah. I do uh, keep thinking about Slore. 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 Yeah. When you when you go into the kitchen and there's a slug on the floor. Slow. <laughs> oh. When you're not as fast as the other uh, people. Uh-huh. Slower. Uh-huh. Slower. <laughs> yeah, when you uh, when you're saying something that uh, might be considered racist, but you're not entirely sure if it is, then it's a slower. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> and people think it's hard being an online comedian but it's not it's really easy <laughs> all right let's clap in heaven everything is fine in heaven Yeah, me neither. Uh, by saying welcome to Lynchpin? That's probably it. Hello! <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome back to Lynchpin, the podcast where we go through all of David Lynch's work and talk about it in chronological order. I'm your host, Charlotte. I'm your host, Janusz. I'm your host, Jan. I'm your host, Alec. Yeah, and we've all gathered here today to talk about Sad, sad movie, The Elephant Man. Mm. Yeah, it's this one. It's a bummer. Yeah, well, we keep but it's getting an these. <laughs> we keep getting these uh, family-friendly romps here. Yeah, you know when I, I always thought David Lynch was just about funny coffee memes. I was like not prepared <laughs> yeah, for this. But it's about the cherry pie and the black coffee. Yeah, and, uh, exactly. The FBI, the yeah. FBI boy, and that's it. The, the good FBI. <laughs> nothing sad happens on Twin Peaks. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> How's everyone doing today? What's what's the mood? What's today's number? Oh shit! I didn't check today's number. Let's let's line it up, and then we can live react to it. Because this is this is oh, a recent shit. development. the The entire internet is talking about this. This is the new hype. Uh, you know, TikTok, Instagram, everyone keeps talking about this. Is that David Lynch has completed his jar? Yeah. <laughs> and the jar has ten numbers in. Yes. So now every day S- he's going numbers. to tell us today's number. Um, and there. It has been some. There, there's been some upsetting, exciting development because the first two were both eights. Oh, <laughs> yes. What if this one is also eight? Uh, I'm about to find out. So it's showing me all his balls, <laughs> and he's showing me that each ball has a number, one through ten. Okay, now he's opening it up, and now he's swirling them. Okay, this is a good playthrough. Play by yeah, play. I'm giving you live, now. He's staring at me voice. intently, uh, and now he's looking at it. And today's number is oh, it's five. Oh shit! Oh. I, I said it would be five yesterday, uh, yeah. or the day before when uh, after we recorded Sufjan. So uh, I'm counting this a win for me. Mm-hmm. Was okay. Killing. Exactly, like the five that we uh, got after our last podcast recording and the five that we got today adds up to a perfect 10 out of 10. So I think that's beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) Great job, everybody. (laughs) I think five is pretty good. Pretty good number. Mm -hmm. So Elephant Man, 
based on some background. I'm just giving myself this role. Don't worry about it. Yeah, some background. So this is David Lynch's second movie. He didn't, he like helped some of the writing, but the original script was two other people whose names I should find. Uh, probably. God, he keeps mentioning them. D- yeah. Did you watch that interview that he yes. did? Yeah. Yeah, so about... interesting. This was put on by Brooks Studio because uh, Mel Brooks saw a razor head and was like, yeah, I will, I will help fund your film, The Elephant Man. It's based on the true story of Joseph Merrick, who was a um, deformed man living in Victorian England uh, in... Yeah, in like 1860s to 1890s, who was helped by a doctor whose name was Treves. Um, Frederick Treves. Yeah, Frederick Treves, who basically um, allowed him to live at the hospital and um, he became sort of known throughout like upper class society um, before eventually dying of asphyxiation. And this is based on Treves' book, not the play, because that's copyright. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah uh interesting some like an uh, interesting thing about the production of this is that apparently um before accepting this david lynch had a screenplay called ronnie rocket yes mm, yes and he just couldn't get it funded so he said okay well if i th- there's no way i can get my own screenplay funded so i'm gonna uh, call my agent if he has like I don't know if, I don't think it was his agent it was someone working for Mel Brooks uh, who he mm. knew and asked him if there are any scripts available and he said oh yeah there are four scripts uh, and then David says oh yeah list me all four scripts and then he says Elephant Man and then David said stop that's it <laughs> <laughs> that's enough and yeah. he allegedly still doesn't know what the other three scripts would have been. He says in the in, in a different interview that he has an explosion in his head and it made a big sound effect uh, mm-hmm. and that he has never had that since. <laughs> okay. That was a real explosion happening nearby. <laughs> like he just thought... <laughs> he just but, thought it was a sign from the unconscious. If that's true, then thank you whoever um, uh, created that explo- explosion because you... Yeah, it did a good movie by that. It Spoilers, was. I like this movie. I like this movie. I think it was good. I agree. It was a. It's a good. It's a good flick. Yeah, I think. It, yeah, I like it. Okay. All right. So we're all, we're all team good. <laughs> That's already a relief. I uh, wouldn't have wanted to get into a big area. Maybe we liked it to different degrees. I don't know. I'm trying to think if there's any other like interesting details he said in that interview he talked about like how oh yeah it's a funny thing is also that he like after like Mel Brooks agreed to this because he apparently loved Eraserhead David Lynch just realized that he's now gonna shoot a movie based on Victorian London and he has been to London like once in his life for a day yeah yeah it is interesting that he was doing this film set in England as an American director. I think it's interesting when Americans do things that are set in England. Mm-hmm. But it seems like, yeah, pretty no, good. No, and he put like he put a he seemed to have put a ton of care into it. Like he, uh, they, they, they like because I think he was his own director of photography on Areas Ahead. Yeah. But uh, for this one, and I think he's I think all of his other movies, he works with different. Uh, cinematographers and for this one they had like a long casting process and they did land on a guy who was either english or has already like done a ton of photography in london so i guess that uh, helps in (laughs) making london seem or victorian london seem authentic which we can talk about in a minute if we liked his depiction of it um i think it's super atmospheric and uh i i like well, yeah, I like the the atmosphere of it, the billowing smoke and all the steam and, and stuff. Kind of reminiscent of Eraserhead in that way. Yeah. The industrial rundown feel of it all. Yeah. It's yeah. Nice. Yeah, I was going to say this seems to have one of those lynchy themes, which is just like horror at modernism. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And like mm-hmm. industry in general and the way it's sort of kind of dehumanizing and you could argue, but I think in a lot of ways, um, 
positions, the sort of dehumanizing nature of the people working in the factories is the same as like the dehumanizing stuff that happens to John Merrick in this yeah. movie. Yeah, because I do think this movie is like, despite everything, very Lynchian. Uh, very, like, yes. it's, it to me, it's, it's, uh, d- despite this being like, you know, having a script that wasn't written by him and being a period piece which he hasn't done before or since. Well, unless you count the 50s as a period piece, I don't know. But, uh, you know, U- European Victorian period piece, like a costume drama, I'm gonna say. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't call it a costume drama, but I get what you're saying. Yeah, you know, I, I just mean, you know, that that era of yeah. of period piece where it's like in the 19th century. Um, do we want to like start with a brief plot overview? I don't know how much of this movie is like, I guess there's a few like plot relevant things. I don't know. Do you think we need a plot run through? Just a brief one, yeah. <laughs> okay, so um, a doctor named Treves goes to see a freak show where there is a man who is called the Elephant Man, um, and he's been kept by a guy whose name is... Uh, begins with B. God damn it. Bite. 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 Yeah. Um, nasty name. Hmm? Nasty man, nasty name. Yeah, yeah, nasty guy. Not a good guy. Um, yeah, there's a few really bad people in this one. He's very interestingly characterised, though. Um, I think he's yeah. very, like, yeah, scary. Um, and he he's he beats the elephant man, um, but he allows the doctor to use him as like a put him on show in a medical setting to all the other doctors as like like a medical marvel sort of thing, which you know not that dissimilar to what mm, Bites was doing. But um, yeah, yeah. They, they illustrate that by having him uh, like turn around. Yes, yeah. That sort of mirrors the the opening scene. Yes, very yeah. well done. Yeah, I was like, yeah, that's a mirroring. Because um, <laughs> they, they even repeat it as well in the same way. Yeah, and then he goes back to the guy who gets angry at him, bites and beats him. And then he is hurt by being very viciously beaten. So he has to send him to the hospital where he's looked after by um, Treves, who eventually sort of begins to realise that he can talk and he is like even though he's physically deformed mentally, he's like an intelligent person who has a lot to say and is very sensitive and is nice despite all he's been through. And gradually he becomes more and more known to the fancy people after an actress takes note of him and goes to see him and she's very nice to him. Um, And other society people go see him too because they're all like following the fashion and they're sort of varying levels of actually like interested in him as a person. Uh, but meanwhile, one of the guys who works at the hospital is letting is getting money from other people to also go and see him and sometimes torment him. And he also goes and torments him, which is bad. And in one of these, Bites gets back in and steals him back for the freak show and then leaves the country where his, uh, his treatment is basically even worse. He's put in a cage with monkeys and he's beaten and stuff. And he's... Um, paraded in front of people but eventually the other freaks in the freak show will escape and they help let him out and send him back to England where he is reunited with his friends at the hospital and he gets to go to the theatre and then um, after he's been to the theatre he's very happy but he decides that he's going to try and sleep like a normal person which he knows will kill him um, and then the film sort of ends with his ambiguous but his death it's almost definitely like his death or implied that he's died yeah and throughout Shit. this there's I stuff forgot to... about i forgot about that i forgot that if he lies down he dies yeah damn this movie is sad I... damn. <laughs> yeah it's Shit. yes yeah yeah um... the ending god the ending really made me cry and and there's a few more scenes like also his uh when he reunites with uh with treves that's like you know yeah and when he goes to the theater, like the, that, that whole final stretch is, I think, very emotional and very bittersweet, you know? Mm. All right, where do we want to start with this? With discussing <laughs> the themes. Anyone, anyone got a point they want to make? I have. Okay, let's, let's talk about the actors a little. <laughs> okay. Let's, let's start with the easy stuff. This has... Okay. Anthony Hopkins and John Hurt are the lead performances, and they're, like, amazing. Mm-hmm. I think 
but like if you look through the entire cast list like one thing i just found out right now is the person who plays the dwarf who uh helps him escape at the end is kenny baker does mm. that name ring a bell it's sort of vaguely familiar he okay he so he familiar. was among others in labyrinth <laughs> Time Bandits, yeah. Willow, yeah. and he was R2-D2 in Star Wars. Yeah, I thought he was familiar. Oh, yeah. I wow. think I know him from um, uh, from Time Bandits. Yeah, because his face, like, I haven't even seen Time Bandits, but his face was definitely really uh, familiar to me, and I think that was from, like, images I've seen from Time Bandits. Yeah. Mm. Was he going to be the protagonist of Ronnie Rocket, or was it um, the... Uh, man the the man from another place actor i he probably didn't have a specific person in mind like okay let's we didn't say this but like the protagonist like ronnie rocket was gonna be about a person who is three feet three feet tall mm-hmm. but i feel like at the point david lynch wrote the script he probably didn't already settle on a person to play him uh for for yeah. this movie the cast was like in the interviews about this uh movie where he talked about the cast he said it was like he got such a star-studded cast because uh, Matt Brooks had, re- had really good connections and everyone wanted to uh, like everyone loved Matt Brooks and you know if he was producing he got like really good actors on board basically I really I really find it hard to imagine uh, anyone else but John Hurt playing the playing John Merrick in this one because he's like that's that's such an amazing performance. Yeah. yeah, he's brilliant as as the as yeah, he's great. Yeah, I just yeah, he does a very sort of good and sensitive job, I think. But yeah. I'm just trying to find where Alex gone. He sort of disappeared off. Huh? Oh yeah, Alex out of the voice chat. Oh, damn. Probably like connection issues or something. Yeah. Um. But there's a there's kind of a shift where like. John kind of goes from being like more of a passive character into like more of an actual, you know, character, which I mean, that makes sense as he's literally becomes more humanized by people. I think it's when he uh, when he recites the rest of the 23rd Psalm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In that in that amazing scene. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was so I was good. rooting for him so hard in that scene because uh, so what happens in that scene is um, when when he gets into the hospital he's like uh, like the director of the hospital says to Treves you know is this a curable patient you have and he he says no he's not but he he needs to be here because you know otherwise like his otherwise he has no place to stay basically mm. and then the director like wants to see him uh, but he needed to prove to uh that he basically can make you know i don't know what what was that what was that specifically to prove like it was something about like he somehow he somehow had to prove that he's like well they said if yeah if if he wasn't if he was someone who um was incurable and incapable of like any sort of improvement and was mentally like um damaged then he'd have to be sent to like a separate place i think like an institution yeah um rather than like a victoria mental institution which is probably one of the worst places you could be oh absolutely um, rather than a hospital <laughs> yeah which you know yeah so they basically like rehearsed the day before what he's gonna say to uh to the director but this, that he only started like actually being able to say things like uh just like a day earlier so they only have like a day to like rehearse what he's gonna say to the uh the director and he's like when they have the meeting he's like entirely convinced like the director's convinced that it's, this is just a rehearsed thing and he doesn't actually understand things he just learned what to say and like yeah. when he already left the room then he starts reciting the psalm and then they find out that he can actually read and then he read that he read the entire thing yeah, which I think, like, I think the 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 interesting thing about um, John's development here is that uh, how do I put it? Oh yeah, that he that like his trauma really shows, and I think it's really understandable 
because we've seen how he's been treated by Mr. Bites before. Mm. Yeah. So, like, yeah, you can... I, I think it's very... Uh, I, I think I think you can really follow how he's, like, doesn't even dare to actually say anything because he's so scared. Yeah, and, yeah, it's it's almost like he's incapable of speaking when he is, like, afraid and he is, like... Oh, sorry, it's a bit noisy. Um, yeah, he's incapable of speaking when he is afraid. Um, and every time that he's tormented for the for pretty much the entire film until the end, he isn't saying anything to anyone. He's just sort of letting it happen and being scared. So when um, the boiler room guy breaks in and is bringing all these people in and is, like, showing him mirrors and, yeah. like, assaulting him and stuff... He can't say anything then, and then later when he goes back to the freak show, he he can't speak then, and it's not till the end when they're like um, chasing him into the bathroom, and he's like, "I'm not an animal, I'm a human man," that he's able to sort of fight back against the people who torment him with his voice or at all, really. Yeah, God, yeah, the the like evil things that people do in this movie is so yeah. It's like because because David Lynch isn't like. You know, this isn't the only time that David Lynch has absolutely, like, pure evil people in his movies. Like, that's a returning theme, right? Like, there's that in Twin Peaks, that's in Blue Velvet, it's in um, Lost... Is it the Lost Highway? I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) I don't remember at this point, but there's definitely a really unhuman evil guy in... uh, Blue Velvet, and I think I think Willem Dafoe in Wild at Heart is also that. Type I think of he's character. very con- he's very concerned with the nature of evil, um, yeah, and sort of the things that lead people to doing evil. Yeah, but to me, like these two, like the um, Mr. Bites and uh, Jim, which I just looked up, is the name of the night porter. Like, yeah, these two are like still like amongst the most evil characters I've seen. It's yeah, I th- yeah. Alex says his Wi-Fi is cut out. Damn. Should we wait or should we? Um, this is good stuff though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna. What was I gonna say? Oh yeah, I was gonna say there. Like the unsettling part is that this, while it's at the same time pure evil, it's also some like evil in a very un uh, understandable way in a. You know, in a way that you know that people are like this. Yes. Yeah. Especially imagining so people of, in the nineteenth century. Like, yeah, go on. Yeah, that was that was what was so kind of harrowing about the the scene where they break into his room at the hospital. Like yeah. it just felt so real and that like this probably happened like, yeah. probably a number of times. Um hmm. It was kind of like a, a synthesis of that. I that's I don't know that's if that's true. Yeah. Yeah, it really did feel like viscerally real somehow to me in a way that it was really hard to watch. Like that, especially I think that was the worst scene to yeah, me no, when that, they broke into uh, into his room and like tortured him, basically um, destroyed all his stuff, and then Mister Bites showing up. Yeah, that was a real like heart sink like oh no yeah shit yeah it's sort of it's just like uh trauma after trauma really that happens there and it's and again it is this refutation of his humanity where it goes from all these people have been nice to you and you've got these clothes and you've got these gifts and you've just been told that this is your home for the first time and then suddenly your home's been invaded because actually there's like a lot of people who will never see you as human and will destroy your stuff and then like make a mockery of like the way you are horrified by your own reflection and the things that you've made and they don't like respect any of it. They just want to cause misery to you because they don't see you as a real person. Yeah. Until there's this this really interesting bit, which is like um which is where the boiler room guy, he um after everyone's left he gets them all to leave and then he like props him back up again because he's suffocating on his back. And he's like, there, you'll be fine now. And it's like sort of weird kindness, but also not kindness because he obviously doesn't want him to just die because he's like getting money from him. Yeah, of course. But it's just a very, 
I don't know, an interesting moment. Yeah, a weird sort of exploitative, you know, the only reason he wants to wants him to keep living is so he can keep making money off of people assaulting him. But it's also like, because he never, I'm never sure if he does hear him talk at all, because when he first goes to see him, he doesn't say anything, um, and he thinks that he can't talk, and then... Later, when he goes to see him, he's obviously always too scared to actually say anything. Yeah. So it's I almost like he... he's decided there's no harm in it almost because he can't talk. I think he's got to know, like when he does his later visits, he's got to know that he's able to talk because all the like aristocracy has visited him. And like it's in the newspapers, I think, at this point that he's he's talking. But I'm also pretty sure that he never actually talks in um, in jim's presence or when you know when he visits at night because yeah because it takes him it 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 kind of takes him up until the uh, train station scene at the end where he like actually is able to speak out in a situation where he's attacked or where he's uh, vulnerable like otherwise it always takes him even in you know when he in an earlier scene where Frederick introduces him to his wife. There, there. It's also like he takes a bit to warm up to to actually keep speaking. Yeah. Well, there's a there's a thing, isn't there, where it's like he's used to women, especially he yeah. sees his perception of women are either like the picture of his mother or um, women screaming and running out of the room when they see him or fainting. So this is like the first time a woman's yeah. He's met a woman who's, like, been kind and gentle towards him. Yeah, he has, like, a big breakdown at that point. Then he keeps apologizing for it, but it's really... I don't know, it's... I think it's uh, it's a good, effective scene again. Like, Yeah. Uh, I don't... I don't even think it's, like... It's like Eraserhead, where they where it's, like, about how David Lynch is afraid of women. I, I think in this case it's more understandable, or it's... It feels yeah. less like a fear of women and more about like really this this one guy's internalized trauma. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's true. This isn't like women are scary. This is just he's everyone is cruel to him. Mhm. Um and then later like the maids and stuff they become um you know, they they like him. It's when people take the time then they like him because he's is kind and gentle and has a refinement of spirit. Yeah. Yeah, that was another thing that, like, stood out to me was um, the the sort of lead nurse. When he first gets in, she's like, oh, the only thing he understands is a good beating. But mm. then, like, uh, later she sort of confronts Treves about having these nobles in sort of uh, repeating the sort of exhibition of him and like uh, she talks about how she showed him uh, you know material care and you know fed him and bathed him all these things and like showing real care for him and that that I thought was really nice yeah yeah, like that's that, that that was a really good scene where uh, Frederick is like awake at night and like asking his wife if I'm any different from Mr. Bites. Yeah. Cuz I think he really does internalize that scene um with the uh with like the head nurse and is like damn, maybe she has a point. Like especially the last two nobles who go in and they're shaking and they're like you know, they they're afraid of him and the woman she appears like trying really hard to not be outwardly scared of him but she obviously is and like he doesn't say anything or maybe he doesn't notice but the nurse notices and is like it's it's literally the same thing all over again yeah that you're doing with these people and anthony hopkins really sells that scene he's very hot he's... in this i'm just saying <laughs> he is he is i get him and dennis hopper confused in my head uh-huh. i think it's the hop um, okay but uh well we will see Dennis Hopper again soon so he'll 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 be here he'll be around yeah to to all you Dennis um. heads <laughs> people who Stay are Dennis tuned. heads yeah yeah also sorry everyone it looks like Alex wi-fi just died so mm-hmm. 
Um, yeah, I don't know if he shows up later, he will. But <laughs> I also think we should keep going because we already have uh, 40 minutes of recording. Yeah, maybe, so maybe we'll get his thoughts in a little separate yeah. thing some other time. Uh, yeah, I do think Anthony Hopkins' performance is like also astonishing. Like, because obviously John Hurt had like the more showy performance, but um, Anthony Hopkins just like has such a I don't know, it's such a nuanced performance because he doesn't show any, like he's not, his character is not allowed to show any like extreme emotions throughout, uh, throughout the movie. So it's really, I think it's really like, a, I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's j- just a really nuanced performance, I think. Yeah. And it's, yeah. Uh, yeah, it really speaks to how well Lynch works with uh, his actors. Oh yeah, for sure. Especially, like, I think it's especially interesting in this case where it's like, uh, not, not like in the in a razor head where it's um, people who are his friends who are in the movie basically. Yeah. Right. Uh, but here it's like world famous actors uh-huh. uh, that he gets to work with for the first time, and he like they really nail it. Uh, there's also this bit in the interviews where he talks about this how. John Hurt was like six to eight hours in the makeup chair apparently for uh, yeah. for this, but he said like John Hurt said that this having the makeup applied like really put him in the mindset to play this character. Like I don't yeah. I don't know. He sort of found it a transformation into yeah, yeah. becoming the character, which is like a kind of thing actors say. But <laughs> yeah, he was like really good thing. in this one. So um, I was I was watching a Mark Kermode short thing about it, and mm-hmm. he was saying that apparently. Um, John Hurt described being on the film. One of the things he said was like they all thought David Lynch is really aloof and um, <laughs> like above it, but he was just really like scared of them. Yeah, <laughs> and he was just like very uncomfortable with like working with all these famous actors, and so he was just really shy and didn't and was just like really scared to yeah talk to them. It does sound scary to like have a have your first very personal movie kind of flop. But because uh, Mel Brooks happened to love it, now you get to work with Anthony Hopkins. Yeah, and he said there was just this traumatizing bit where his his special effects that he was going to do for the for the Elephant Man just didn't work, and he yeah. thought they were going to kick him off the movie. Yeah, which would have been amazing. What if they just cut? What if they just kicked him off? <laughs> <laughs> what if someone else just did Elephant Man? Th- then we wouldn't be here talking about it now. There you go. True. Yeah, we just go right to Dune. Yeah, ah, uh, shit, I forgot Dune was next. <laughs> <laughs> you you don't understand how excited I am. Um, I, I can't imagine. Th- I haven't seen Dune yet, but I wouldn't watch this movie and go, you know what this guy needs to do? A big sci-fi <laughs> uh-huh. epic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll get to... I, I guess I can just say this is a teaser in one of the interviews I watched in preparation for today. He also, like ends up talking about Dune and Firewalk With Me, and he says, well, Firewalk With Me was a flop, critically and commercially, but I thought there were, like, some of my favorite scenes I've ever directed in that scene. And that is much easier to bear than than, uh, Dune, where it flopped, critically and commercially, and also I I know there were a ton of things I did wrong, and that stings much more. Yeah, didn't he totally... He, like, did that thing directors do where they just totally disown a film? Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't have his name that. attached to it. Yeah. I mean, it does, but, like, in the in the final version, it has, like, a special name that directors use when they don't want their name to be on it. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, Alan Smithy. Yeah, it's great. I, I think Dune is pretty bad, but I really like it, so it's... Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a tough one. I am uh, excited for that. We'll yeah. talk about it. We'll talk about it next week. But oh, next week, next, next month. month. But... <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about it next month. Um, I wanted to make a point. Um, so I wrote down some notes about this because this is going to be my my thing moving forward that I'm going to mm-hmm. look out for. So I was reading this review and it was talking about um, Elephant Man and it said that it was really weird that this surrealist guy had done this movie that's, like, very sentimental and very melodramatic. And I was like, no, you're wrong. Uh-huh. <laughs> you're, you're wrong about that, because I think he is very sentimental. I think he's a very sentimental person in a very specific way. 
and I don't think that's separate from like his weird imagery and his like surrealism. I think he uses the sort of surreal imagery and sound and stuff to create emotion and to create that sort of heightened level of feeling in the person watching it. Um, and I think that's just part of like how he makes movies. I don't think that it's separate from emotion, if you get what I'm saying. Yeah. I think often Absolutely. his imagery is like it's a it's like an emotional language that he uses um to like to be effective in a very almost straight to the emotions way that sort of bypasses, you know, traditional storytelling or whatever. And so I don't think that the melodrama of this movie is different from like how he does other movies. I just think it's less obvious in other movies that that's what he's trying to do, um, unless you think about it in a certain way. Yeah, and to me, this movie was kind of a revelation in that sense. Like, I was really blown away by this movie. And part of that was because I also watched Elephant Man for the first, uh, not Elephant Man, Eraserhead for the first time uh, a month ago for yeah. this podcast. But Eraserhead was like kind of exactly what I expected because I've seen David Lynch movies and I've seen like, you know, the most famous scenes or, or like some of the more famous scenes or at least images from Eraserhead. So it was pretty much what I expected from Eraserhead, David Lynch's first movie to be. But for this one, I had like no idea how David Lynch is gonna, like I had no idea what a quote unquote normal David Lynch movie like. A David Lynch yeah. movie that, like, was nominated for eight Oscars, you know, mm. uh, would be like. Or, like, you know, a movie that is just um, uh, just a period drama. And I was kind of blown away by, like, how competent he is at this. Yeah. Like, there's... I don't know, like... There, there, there's, just, there's just so many really well-done uh, scenes that are just just really effective uh you know we mentioned how good the train scene is at the end like that's yeah where he where he's like has his i am not a animal i'm a human being moment yeah and and that's like you know that's like the a classic inspirational end of the movie breakthrough scene that can be like could have been super uh, how do I put it? Like hammy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but it it was just like a it, just a really emotional moment, like a really heartfelt moment to me. And he mm. he like strikes his balance so well. And 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 there's there's several of these scenes, like these scenes that you could call sentimental, <laughs> but yeah. I think are just very effective. Like the the scene where he does the Romeo and Juliet um, recital with the actress yeah. i think that's a really yeah, touching about that. scene mm. but yeah and again i think it, it, i think it is sentimental but not in a negative yeah. sense i think that's in a positive sense david lynch feels I like he feels a lot and yeah. he wants to make you feel a lot as well um i think it's much harder impression. to do a sentimental scene well than yes. uh than just not do it than than do a very detached movie and i think i can't remember where i read this it was in some some sort of re review of something David Lynch did where it was like you can if you approach it in the wrong way and you don't buy into it you could just like find some stuff he does like like pretentious or funny in the wrong way or like you know dismiss it but it's sort of if you buy into it which you sh you should and you approach it in a way where you're not being cynical about it then it it has like a lot of power yeah um, and yeah and I think that because sometimes he'll do stuff which is like bizarre or mawkish, like in Twin Peaks, and it'll have like bits with um, like in The Return where it's got bits with um, fuck what their names, uh, shit. What are the two who have the child? That's Michael Cera. Oh, <laughs> um, uh, Harry and Andy Lucy. And, yeah, 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 Andy. Andy and Lucy. Lucy. Yeah, not not Harry. Too many characters in that show. Yeah, Andy and Lucy. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Andy and Lucy. Yeah, um, yeah. I think when it when it has them in the return, a lot of they, what they do is like annoying and sort of weird. But it's also kind of nice yeah. if you sort of approach it in that way. And I think some parts of what he does are like that. If you get what I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, there's yeah, because like, oh, go on. Well, because when, well, I think that again speaks to like having 
characters that feel very real and very um yeah. very full. Yeah. And so when they um when they have sentimental moments, it you feel it with them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I think these characters do feel like so real. Like I, I already talked about how real the evil characters feel. Like the uh, both Jim, and, who is like the you know, opportunist, I guess, who just uses this one person's suffering to, I guess, both do like both him and Mister Bynes do this one person's yes. suffering to uh, for profit, basically. Mm. Uh, like like those like th- that that kind of abusive capitalist evil feels yes very real but also on the flip side i think the like kind characters in this movie like the like the actress who visits him uh she also feels like really really real or like her you know kindness Mm. in that scene also comes across as like genuinely genuinely kind uh, also, there's. I, yeah. I wanted to talk about because we talked about this in the beginning. How there's, then then these other like aristocratic people also come visiting him because this one actress did, and I think that's also like such really powerfully shown the how you can notice the difference between when there's the other couple who visits him, and they're like just so scared of him, <laughs> and they're really just doing it for show. Yeah. Like I think, uh, I think the the wife like really trembles when he uh, when he gives them tea, even though he's like perfectly like coordinated at that. But she's just she's just so scared, and her husband keeps it together a bit better. But like there's there's just such a coldness coming from them, which you know isn't there with the actress who visits him first. So I think I think that was like really really subtly done mm. or, or really well done. Yeah, that's something else I was gonna mention. I'm trying to remember what it was now. Yeah, it's um, the bit that made me cry was the bit where he was like, when he got back to um, the hospital and they're preparing for the theater, and he says that he's happy every day because he knows that there are people that love him. Yeah. And then I was very, I was very sad. And there's this whole thing about he says that, and it's sort of true, but it's also not true because in the end he is separated by not feeling like a normal person, which leads to him um, basically trying to sleep on his back and sort of committing suicide. Yeah. Um, but and in that moment he is happy because he's just been to the theater. So it's this sort of I don't know. It's sort of very mixed moment. I think. Yeah. A sort of, of emotion. It's like, yeah, a lot of competing emotions where he feels like he is in a home where people love him, but also it's it's almost not enough to have that. And he needs, yeah, he, he still can't achieve normality that he's trying to, that he wants, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's the classic thing of uh, happy ends or sad endings are basically just depending on at which point you cut in the story. Yeah. And I think... I think in this movie it, it it is totally that like you could if you cut off the ending where he lies down on his back to sleep you could say it has kind of a sweet happy ending but you know he's still like I think it's it's this double sidedness of him having this uh really emotional moment at the theater but then still basically giving up on life that just yeah <laughs> makes it so much more heartbreaking i think but then i guess like choosing to die is almost like one of the most human things that you could do so in that moment even though he's dying he's like fully reclaimed his self-autonomy and his humanity in some ways you could say yeah man this this is a deep movie It's uh, it's it's really well made yeah. and really uh, really effective. Yeah, I'm really yeah. glad I finally saw this. I don't know if I'll, because the upsetting scenes are so upsetting and the sad scenes are so sad that I think I feel like this is one of those. This is gonna become one of those movies for me where I'm gonna be like, this is one of the best movies I've ever seen, and you de- you should definitely watch it. But I will also not probably not watch it again in the next 10 years because it's because it's just like it's just so much yeah 
<laughs> I agree. Um, there was one other thing as well I wanted to just briefly touch on, which is that there's some very interesting stuff, like where because he because he's this medical marvel and he gets to live in the hospital, he gets access to like all these fancy suits and the fancy clothes and the fancy food that even though they get to live as normal people, like the poorer people who are like in the workhouses, they in some ways they're like almost more well, not more, but they're disadvantaged. Mm -hmm as well and he he is allowed this sort of access into and um, into this sort of comfortable sort of secure world and obviously he's still going through all this shit which is terrible but there there is this thing where like there is also like this sort of capitalist dehumanization that's going on around him that he's almost been uplifted from and you could say that is like nice that they gave him this house in the hospital and it is good that they did that but then you'd be like what about other people who are similar mm. you know it's societal makes you think yeah yeah for for sure like i i do think there is like some conscious uh commentary on class stuff in it for yeah. sure it's also it's also a thing that like just like frederick treves on himself like this is probably the most he could do because they were also only be able they were also only able to keep him in the hospital because uh queen yeah, victoria queen. learned about it for some reason <laughs> queen victoria was like well done <laughs> I, thank you love this guy <laughs> queen victoria was like i'm a big fan big fan of uh john Merritt. so uh yeah <laughs> make sure you Man, don't kick him out onto the street with the, with the the board of directors guy yeah, yeah. It was like the ultimate, like, this guy's got a... Like, you know. <laughs> yeah, he's like, you can't justify this. This is insanity. And they're like, ah, but the, but, yes. but the queen... But the queen says it's good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, do we want to close up on this film or do we have anything? I'm trying to think if I have anything else I wanted to touch on. In the film discussion, um, I will that's... say I think the the more like uh, overtly surreal scenes. Mm -hmm. I don't think yeah. they uh, they didn't really. Uh, I didn't love them. I don't think they add that yeah. much to the film. I mean, there were only like two, right? Like yeah, like the the dream sequence in the middle is okay, but like at the very beginning with the elephants. Yeah. Like that was eh, it. It didn't really. I think the it the film might be stronger without them. And also at the end when it like zooms out to the stars and the I think it's his mom like overlaid over it and she says like no one ever really dies or something like that. Like that uh, I don't know it, that didn't yeah yeah it didn't. Feel I like that. Took me out of it a little. I bit. liked the ending. I thought it was nice. <laughs> yeah, I it was know. just I, yeah. Yeah, I'm a bit confused about what they're trying to do, I think. Mm -hmm. Like what they're there for. It did feel like the, the uh dream sequences were like, well, this is a David Lynch movie and he does those, so yeah. They're going to be in here too, but it didn't feel needed cuz this is a different type of movie. I don't know. Mm. I'd be interested in because I think the only other like similar movie to this David Lynch made is Straight Story. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Uh, so I'd be interested in seeing that if he uh, if he ends up going like actually full. Uh, this is just an just a regular story, or if he's also gonna put dream sequences in that. Because I I almost feel like he won't. Because I because. I feel like at that point, Lynch is going to be like a more uh, experienced or refined director. Which, by the way, uh, another interesting thing about the straight story is, uh, or the connection between this and straight story is I looked up the, um, uh, when I looked up the crew on this, the uh, cinematographer on this, or the director of photography on this, was director of photography on two other David Lynch movies, and that's doing straight story. Yeah. Well, yeah, he said in the interview that it, he worked on Straight Story with him as yeah. well. Um, which, yeah, interesting. I'm interested to see how normal Straight Story is. Because I think he was making a point of making, like, a very... Yeah. I normal. heard great things about it. Like, when we released the first episode, there were, like, people saying they were excited to hear us talk about Straight Story because that's a 
really good underrated <laughs> movie. I think it would be great if uh, Elephant Man and Straight Story were like the only Lynch movies you'd seen. Mm-hmm. Yes. So it was like, yeah, he's yeah, he's a good, competent director. Yeah, he, I haven't seen his other work, but I'm sure it's for, in a similar vein. For a long time, growing up, the only David Lynch movie I'd seen was Dune, mm-hmm. um, mm. which it's just an interesting, uh, interesting way to approach a director. Uh-huh, so you were like, there's a candy, he's like a camp science fiction director. Yeah. I was like, wow, not not great, that David Lynch. <laughs> Are you going to talk more about this Roger Ebert interview uh, or review? Because I have this open here and I have some more beef with it. Uh, yeah, you can you can start. I haven't read all of it. I just saw the sort of summary on Wikipedia. Mm. Yeah, because I have, I have Roger Ebert's two-star review of The Elephant Man from January 1980 open here. Oof. Roger Ebert, I didn't understand him yet. A guy who... Roger Ebert is such an interesting guy to me because I like reading yeah. his reviews. I think he's a very good writer yeah, and he's very good at making an argument. And I almost always disagree with him. Okay. I agree with him sometimes. Yeah. I agree with him that Hackers is a good movie. <laughs> uh, I think the, the, the one review he has where I'm the most like, dude, what the fuck is the... I think he has like a one star or one and a half star review of Romeo and Juliet, the Buzz Lerman movie. And he keeps talking about how uh, this is Romeo and Juliet for the Backstreet Boys generation or whatever. And I'm like, come on, it's great. <laughs> That's why it's good. Don't be a, don't be a hater. <laughs> That's a feature, not a bug. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I agree with Roger Ebert that uh, video games aren't art. Yeah, absolutely. And... Uh... <laughs> And uh, wow, uh, yeah, no, that's not true. There, <laughs> I just laugh how mad gamers uh, get uh, got about Roger Ebert's opinions on video games, even like five years after his death. It's incredible, really. <laughs> anyway, the the part that I wanted to point out is this paragraph where. Uh, Roger Ebert writes I kept asking myself what the film was really trying to say about the human condition as reflected by John Merrick and I kept drawing blanks the film's philosophy is this shallow one wow the elephant man sure looked hideous and two gosh isn't it wonderful how he kept on in spite of everything mm, I don't think that's the point of the I, movie I don't think that's the point of the movie at all yeah that sounds yeah that's just projecting I don't think that's <laughs> Because this movie is like, there's so many harrowing, like genuinely, uh, genuinely horrifying scenes of this movie, like scenes that could be from a horror movie. But I think like one of the greatest strengths of this is that he never uses the cheap um, disability as horror thing, which horror movies have a long history of. But it's always the other people who are horrifying and not John himself. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I don't think this. I don't think this movie's philosophy is shallow at all. I think it's. I think it's about society. I guess. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't. It doesn't feel dated. Yeah. It feels like. Yeah. It. It still feels very poignant in current year. Yeah. I will also say uh, this is kind of a non sequitur but like one of the um, uh things i noticed at the beginning about the whole style of this movie like both with the black and white photography and uh, some of the acting in the movie that feels like quaint like it doesn't feel like an 80s movie in, in a good way in a yeah. good way it feels like an older movie than an 80s movie which is actually pretty cool because 80s movies get much more dated I think, or much more noticeable in a camp way often, or often in a fun way. But I think this movie almost feels timeless because it feels older than it actually is, but also in a way that it feels like you're discovering an old classic. Yeah. Right. And it reminds me of, for, of like a ton of old European movies also, especially, which is also interesting. Like, it doesn't feel like an old Hollywood movie. It feels like an old French movie from the 50s. <laughs> Almost. Yeah, no, I get what you mean. Um, by that, definitely. Definitely in the, in the style of acting as well feels a bit... Um, I guess it does make sort of connections to, like, 50s melodramatic acting in some places. Yeah. 
I mean, melodrama is, I think, or like melodramatic acting is just super all over David Lynch's movies, I think. Yes. And I think he does the yeah. best out of it. Like, he he gets the best out of... There was actually an, uh, an English teacher I had, or a black university teacher uh, who taught cultural studies, um, who, like, he, he taught cultural studies and, and English literature, like, just kind of a combination of the two. And... Um, when like he had a course on like 19th century uh melodrama and yeah he made a point about how he basically talked about what melodramatic acting was like like you have to you basically go from extremes uh, and you you show very open very extreme emotion in a way that could be considered as camp and he said the most prominent contemporary example of that would be Nicolas Cage yeah uh, which I think is interesting because David Lynch did cast Nicolas Cage um, much later in Wild at Heart. That's right. Yeah. So, huh. That makes sense. Yeah. And I, I think, going back to the sort of emotionality thing, I think a lot, yeah, what you're saying was right, and that a lot of what David Lynch does is melod- is sort of melodrama. And interestingly, that when they go to the theatre in this, they go to see a melodrama, so... Mm. Mm. Hints. It's given us a hint. <laughs> and you could say a lot of this movie does take like cues from Victorian style melodrama. Yeah. Um in the sort of sort of grand sweep of almost like the tragedy of it and the obviously like being in the freak show and all the sort of the horrors of that. It is very yeah. It is that sort of Victorian novel style melodrama. Yeah. Yeah, because I think having heightened characters and heightened dialogue uh, it kind of helps them like get to the core of a character, mm. and then it also in later films like sets really nicely against the more surreal elements. Yeah. All right. Um, okay. I think we can like close out the movie discussion. I I have looked at a few letterbox reviews. I don't know if you did that too, Jan. Yeah, none of them were really stood out to me except for that one which you can <laughs> yeah. which you found <laughs> there's one four star review it's it's a very recent one and this this reviewer says it sucks that he had to live in victorian england because if the elephant guy was around now he would at least have his own youtube channel or a lot of followers on instagram <laughs> movie is good even though it's missing most of the colors i like to look at normally not super lynchy <laughs> <laughs> this, this is an incredible review. Really cuts to the heart of uh, of the film. Yeah, I did. I did find like one more review that I thought was interesting. I'm gonna let you guess how many stars this person gave the movie. The review is what I like about the film: Anthony Hopkins, Frederick Dreef's com- Frederick Treves' compassion for John Merrick. And John Hurt's portrayal of the Elephant Man. What I didn't like about the film: how people can be cruel and hate the things they don't understand. Damn. Now uh, I'm gonna say that's th- uh, f- uh, four four stars. Mm-hmm. Three stars. One and a half stars. <laughs> uh, is that for the general human cruelty of life? You're like I hate, I hate human cruelty. Giving it one and a half stars out of five. This is. Yeah, this is like the classic. Um, I hate. This is a bad character because he does bad things. <laughs> approach mm-hmm. of like Goodreads approach of um, cultural criticism. <laughs> and most of the internet. Yeah. At large. Uh, oh, and there's one more weird one I found. Another one and a half star review. While I'm no fan of the guy, I guess I'm glad Lynch opted to head down the path he did instead of doing m- more of this drab Oscar junk. Some real Batman Returns vibes here. Wish I had been watching Batman Returns instead. <laughs> huh. I haven't wow. seen Batman Returns in a while. Me neither. <laughs> but it's not the first thing I It's not the first thing I thought I thought about for sure. I do. You're like, damn. This is just like. <laughs> I do think Batman Returns might be my favorite Batman movie, honestly, because. Uh, um, mine is um, the new Scooby Doo movies. Oh, Batman I haven't Robert seen that one. Scooby Doo. I heard it's great. I heard from a podcast that it's great. So. 
Ah, good. Um, uh, my favorite's uh, Dejoka, baby. <laughs> ah, got him. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> yeah, the best Batman movie is the one that doesn't even have Batman in it. Yeah. Makes you think. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. Uh, I think we have an episode of Lynchpin. Sorry oh, yeah. about losing Alec. Alec fell down a hole, which is very upsetting. It's, um, yeah. We're all very sad about this. He will, he will return. Alec will return for <laughs> Dune. Dune! We, Dune! we might even have a special guest for that episode. I, will, I don't know how it will work out. Um, special. I probably won't be able to read all of Dune up to that. Maybe I'll be able to read the first book. I probably won't be able to read Children of Dune because... Uh, it's a lot of books. Well, no one, no one should read *Children of Dune*. <laughs> I'm just putting it out there. I'm still dubious that people should read the book *Dune*, which I, yeah, which I like, but I'm still not sure people should read it. Mm-hmm. Is the new *Dune* movie still happening? What the Denis Villeneuve yeah. one? Um, it was last I heard. Didn't they say that Timothy Chalamet was gonna <laughs> be Paul Atreides? Was gonna be what? Um. Uh, uh, Paul is going to be played by Timothy oh, yeah. Chalet. Yeah, and there were like some cast photos uh, or like some set photos or whatever. But uh, with the current state of cinema, <laughs> I don't know. It says 2020 film. Yeah, because that's a movie I've been so excited about for years. Not even because I'm the biggest, I'm the biggest Dune fan, but I don't know. Just Danny Villeneuve's Dune sounds like such a such an exciting or such an interesting uh, combination of filmmaker and source material and it's probably gonna flop and we're gonna be very upset that he only that he makes I, I yeah. think he made it in like so that it's two parts yeah, both covering just the first book so it's gonna be very upsetting if it flops and it ends on a cliffhanger or whatever I like Denis Villeneuve I'm not certain he can do endings mm-hmm. so it's probably fine <laughs> that he already has an ending that he can do yeah yeah, and I guess Timothy Chalamet is problematic, but he does look exactly how I imagine Paul looking in the books. So I'm just really upset because I am obsessed with uh, Carl McLaughlin in David Lynch Dune. So he just doesn't look like Paul at all. Uh but he's beautiful. That's true. <laughs> I'm not sure Paul is supposed to be beautiful. I don't care. <laughs> it's an adaptation. Um, there are there are there are far worse um, adaptational changes to be upset about than Carmen Lachlan's oh, pool. Don't probably. worry about it. I'm excited to watch that. All right. Well, I think this has been well, Lynchpin. <laughs> this has been Lynchpin. Thank you for listening. Um, you can check out our other podcasts uh, on Good Episode Production. Com. Mm. Is that the website address? No, it's goodepisodeproductions.cart.co. I probably put it in the show description. Okay. Yeah, you can check out um, The Edge of Pods, which I do with Jen and Jan, where we listen to Sufjan Stevens and talk about him. Yeah, it's a good time. We're starting the, the titular Age of Odds. Yeah. Ooh. Somewhere in relation to this episode coming out. Uh-huh. <laughs> Past, present, future. Who knows? Yeah. What is time? Exactly. Uh, and you can check out uh, Who Watches the Watch, uh, Song of Babies and Puppies, Fred Says Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> check out all our other shows. You're gonna love them. Um, check them out. You love it. Exactly. Um, and join us next time when we talk about the good, good movie Dune, 1984. Hey, yeah. Uh, do we have a sign-off? I can't remember. I honestly can't remember what we did last <laughs> episode. Well, until... <laughs> Everyone, have a great day. Have a good day. <laughs> I agree. And Until next time, be kind to your fellow man. And yeah, don't be a Mr. Bites. Don't be like Mr. Bites. Yeah, don't imprison a man and display him for money. (laughs) All right, bye. Okay, bye. (laughs)